I have been in commercial real estate from one uh, aspect or another my entire adult career, which is 30 years. Um, since 1989, so almost 30 years. Um, so I'm excited to be able to talk about this topic. It's a topic I'm very passionate about. I've also been involved in residential um, real estate uh, as a licensee since 2005. So not quite as long as my experience in commercial. Um, commercial real estate is completely different than residential real estate. We'll go over a bunch of the reasons how and why. I have really three main objectives here this morning. Um, not to, one isn't to keep you here until three o'clock, but one is to make sure that we've answered some of the questions and the reason that you're here. Um, two is that I want you to be thinking about your residential career in real estate completely different after this morning as it relates to thinking about real estate from a commercial aspect and how it really should change the way you think about your residential business. And thirdly, to see if you have any interest to go back to your brokers and say, hey, I want to learn more about commercial real estate. So it really will be impossible to touch on everything because there's so many different aspects. So um, a little bit about me. Uh, since 1989, I've been a commercial contractor. In 1997, I started investing, developing, building, and landlording commercial real estate and residential from multifamily housing uh, aspect. 2005, I actually became a licensee, um, built a team, and uh, I still remain to be the commercial uh, agent in the team. Um, and then we were primarily a residential brokerage, which I did have the benefit of getting quite a bit of experience with that. So let's talk about your business as a residential agent a little bit. What I really want to think about is how emotional, um, because things are happening in their lives. Maybe they've never bought a home before, they're a first time buyer. Uh, maybe they've lost their job and they're losing their home. And to foreclosure or downsizing. Maybe it's a divorce. It could be mom or dad has passed on and now they're dealing with selling the home that they grew up in. So you can really understand. I mean, I commend you on your, your jobs and what you have to deal with every day, really being that calm, that nucleus that keeps that transaction together. I promise you, and I'm sure you're doing it, really after the settlement is really where your relationship starts by bringing that pizza at move in and really they will appreciate you and sometimes even apologize for the way that they have behaved. So this picture kind of says we're moving. You would think they would be happy, but as we all know, it's a very emotionally charged transaction. 
Commercial is the exact opposite. You're not dealing with emotions of someone moving their family and worrying about school systems and things like that. It's a completely analytical transaction. So from a standpoint that it would be a great location for their business, or it won't. It has enough space for them where they are now and growth, or it doesn't. It serves the demographic that they're trying to reach, or it doesn't. You're really dealing completely different, but very analytical. So there's a cycle that happens with real estate. There are four main sectors in commercial real estate. One is industrial, office, retail, and multifamily. So your residential agents, does anybody know when it really turns commercial? Yes, ma'am. At five units. Yep, so good job. Four units is really what is really an investment property, not really a commercial transaction. But a lot of times commercial is determined by the lender as well. So how a lender looks at a piece of property, so it may not be owner occupied and it may be a single dwelling, single unit dwelling, but your lender, because you do this for a living, you have three or 10 or 20 of them, may not look at this as a residential transaction. They may look at it as an actual commercial transaction, non-owner occupied. So even under the four units, your lender, if you need financing, um, could push this into a commercial category. It really kind of works just like you see. So industrial is exactly what it sounds like. It's actually some of the hardest zoning to get because most people don't want it in their neighborhoods. So when you have industrial zoning, it's kind of like precious um, warehousing space could be industrial, contractor yards could be industrial, and no one likes to see dumpsters and piles of debris and things from contractors. So that industrial kind encompasses a whole lot, lot like light manufacturing, things like that. Well, what happens when they make things and they bring things in, they ship things and they store things and you have this industrial zoning, then you need people to sell it. So really that then falls into the office side of things. What companies are setting up retail distribution centers or um, wholesale outfits or sales type of businesses, logistical types of things. So that really feeds the office side, and then what does that do? That fuels the retail side. So you need retail space to sell the goods that are being warehoused and that the people are out pushing, and so the retail sector starts to do well. And we're gonna talk about some of the trends and how that landscape is changing. And then really people need a place to live. So that really dumps into your multifamily housing or just housing in general. So commercial real estate and our economy really tells the story on how well your residential business is, 
you know, it's either thriving or declining, and we've all seen that in this last horrible recession. You all know the shopping centers where the anchor store goes out of business. You see what the impact is of the shopping center. That There's a term in commercial real estate, it's called going dark. And when you lose your anchor store, then you start to see the other businesses fail. You see loitering come in. You see people not feeling comfortable being there. Um, vacancy doesn't look good. Your neighborhoods start to decline. People don't want to be there. So commercial really impacts the success of your residential business. We can ask a lot of questions. We can direct people. We can say, this doesn't work. Trust me, you don't want to be there. We know what's going on in that area. You can't dare say that in residential. So a lot of agents, it's kind of scary when they do both because they get used to doing one thing or saying one thing and then they could slip up. But you're dealing with ADA. So there's a complete different set of rules that you're dealing with, with commercial. And you have to be familiar with it. I want to talk a little bit about the cycle. And this is the same with residential. Anybody recognize this cycle? You've seen that before even with residential? Everything is a cycle, right? We didn't expect the last bus to be 10 years, but it's still, it's happened before. It's going to happen again. So what happens is, we're going to start down here in recession because that's where we were not too long ago. What happens in a recession? Prices and rents fall. Inventory increases. We have oversupply. New construction stops. They won't even fund it. It becomes a buyer's market. Then you start into your recovery phase. People start consumer spending. They start spending money again. Interest rates fall because they say we got to encourage this, which is where we've been. Inventory starts to decrease. Absorption starts to take place. The prices stabilize. Employment consumption and investors start really buying property. Then it goes to expansion. You get rising prices, rising rents. Inventory is reduced. An oversupply. Some experts say in multifamily housing were there. We'll talk about it. I don't think so. Uh, but hypersupply, then we start that process all over again. So this is kind of interesting. It kind of summarizes the last slide. What time is it? Where are we right now? Does anybody want to guess? Okay, you're right. I mean, we're right up the top there. There's plenty of money to give. I spoke to a commercial uh, um, a lender. He's actually in charge of Old Line Bank. Last week, he told me, "Man, bring me some deals, man. We can't. We need. We we've got money. We need to spend." So we're definitely in the increasing construction, excessive funding, and we're booming right now. Just driving here, you can see it, and it's not just in Maryland. We Flew into Tennessee a couple weeks ago, and uh, there's cranes everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the industry is really rocking and rolling. Think about your business. You're a commercial business. You may not think of yourself as a commercial business because you're not a store, and you're not a manufacturer, and you don't have a karate studio, but you're a realtor. So... 
you have a commercial business. So though you may not be looking for your own space, this should still get you thinking about things that you can process to make your commercial business better. And you'll see what I mean as we go through this. So basically, there's two types of commercial clients. You have your owner-occupants, and then you have tenants that lease. Sometimes they're both. Sometimes an owner that will put their business in a location will lease the remaining space. It boils down to, you know, when we're qualifying a client, we have to be really business consultants. The best commercial agents are business consultants because sometimes the business, I mean, we know what the statistics are for small businesses, the heartbeat of America is actually making it because they make really bad decisions. So sometimes one of the worst thing in the world you can do is go to an agent, if it's a residential agent, and say, you have your license, please help me, I want to open a karate studio. They don't know how to help you. So a lot of times when we're sitting down with clients and we're kind of figuring it out, they don't even know what they need. So, you know, that's sort of a process. We're actually becoming consultants to them. So what type of business are you in? Are you new? Are you relocating? Are you expanding? Maybe you have one location. It's not working for you. You need another one. Or maybe you're expanding and you need two or three or just the second one. How many employees do you have? How many people come because it takes up your parking spaces? Do they know what they need, which is exactly what I was just saying? What are their expansion plans? A lot of people don't even think about that. They say, oh, I need a 500 square foot. I had a uh, young um, printer called me up um, the other day and said, I am outgrowing my garage at home. I do um, screen printing. You know, can you find me something that's like 1,000 square feet? He's going from like a 300 square foot garage to a thousand square foot. That's a big jump. But we need to talk about his expansion plans because maybe he just landed a big contract and he needs six machines and the machines take up this much square footage and he needs a spot for inventory and the shirts that are coming in and the hats that are coming in. So do they know what they need? What are their expansion plans? Are they online? in-store or both, and we're going to see some of that in the trends, the way that things are going, how much can they afford? What are their attractors? So sometimes competition to a business is good. So you wouldn't necessarily look at it and say, oh, well, we're putting in a Chinese restaurant. Well, we don't really want any other restaurants because we want everybody in the center to be hungry. That's not necessarily the way it works. You want everybody to come there because they're hungry, and then they go, oh, let's get Chinese. Or maybe the other stores are busy, and it's an overflow because they don't feel like waiting to sit down for 20 minutes. So really understanding, you know, are there attractors in their businesses? Are there anchors in their businesses? Are there other competitors in the business? that really will help them be successful. Then we boil it down to what do their spaces look like? And again, we haven't talked about one specific category because we don't have enough time. 
we'll talk about some categories. But space requirement, what's their category? So a lot of times, retail can work out of a warehouse. Sometimes an insurance business can work in a residential office zoning. If they don't occupy a lot of times more than 25% of the square footage of the structure. So what kind of category of business do they fall in? What does the zoning say is, so that boils down into, are they allowed? And number two, if they're not allowed by right, are they allowed by maybe a special exception, which requires some postings and some hearings and things like that? Or are you just going for a complete zoning change? And that's been done too. Do they need frontage? So a lot of times their business, we just talked this morning about a, um, with Amy, we just spoke about a client that we have that is looking for a seven bay garage in the ideal for auto mechanics, things like that. We know they have to be in. So some businesses need to be on a main road. This type of business doesn't have to be. They're well known, they're looking for another location. Are they looking to buy or lease? Some people don't realize they can buy. A lot of businesses, it doesn't fit on their balance sheet. So you have to understand when you're dealing with a business, they don't buy locations, a lot of them. Kiosk or shared space, this is a big trend that's coming right now. I'll give you a perfect example. You ever go in the grocery store and see Starbucks coffee? Now you start seeing things like makeup, and cupcakes, and flowers. A lot of times those spaces are subbed out to different companies. Exposure requirements, storage. People don't think about that. You know, if you're a liquor store, do you need storage? Or is everything out? Do you need to replace things? You get busy and your shelves are empty. Does that look good? No, it doesn't. People don't buy when the shelves aren't full. Goes back to some other businesses that need mass transportation. They need a bus stop that's close by you know, that, that they can count on because maybe they need um, walk scores because in their area, people don't have cars. Parking. Sometimes you have to pay for that. A lot of businesses will say, we need 14,000 cars a day. Some will say, we need 140,000 cars a day is the amount of traffic that we need. We need to be in business major because it takes... 140 cars to go by before we get one to pull in. So they're statistical. A lot of these businesses, especially when you're dealing with Chick-fil-A and popular franchisers are great at telling you what they need and what they're looking for, and we have to find it. What side of the road are you on? This is big. If you're a bagel shop, you own a bagel shop or a bakery or a coffee shop, and you're on the coming home side of the road, you're in trouble. You might not be in trouble when traffic is slow, but then the next thing you have to find out is they put a traffic calming device in, which is called a median strip. And now that people have to do a U-turn, forget it, they ain't coming. So these are things you have to think about when you're a commercial agent. We do a lot of consulting. In the last 25 years, I've done a lot of consulting, talking to businesses. They're going, man, we're starving. You know, we can't make it. And you're going, oh, buddy, you're on the wrong side of the road. You guys need to be on this side of the road. They just don't know that. 
all of a sudden that local shop goes out of business and people go, man, they opened up like a year ago. I can't believe they're gone already. You know, there are reasons why, not that they're stupid people. They just don't know. They're just not advised. Tenant improvements, another big consideration. So when we're dealing with space and a lot of obsolescence now, because we see, especially in our area, in our one office, which is in Baltimore County, we see a lot of old buildings that are vacant. You go up and down York Road, it's like horrible. And um, we're trying to get in there and really help them and penetrate. And we have been successful in doing two big placements in the last six months um, where the one property sat vacant for eight years, the other property sat vacant for a decade. Most of your tenants, whether you're on the buyer side or the tenant side or you're on the listing side or the landlord side, this whole process is a negotiation because the landlord wants to fill their space and they're willing to say, hey, if you come here and you're the right business, we're going to build it out for you or we're going to give you four months or six months of free rent and you know X amount of percentage and then we'll build in the tenant improvements on the back end. So we'll get into analyzing properties and locations. I have a business, help me be successful. Oh good, here we go. So we're gonna help them analyze. So there's a couple things and this is kind of interesting. We have tools that you don't have as a residential agent and they are really expensive. I'll give you some kind of an idea. Basically when you're analyzing a commercial property you're looking at it from either a one, three, or five mile drive distance, typically, or you're looking at it from a minute drive time, which encompasses different, you can see here, this is five, this is 10, and this is 15 minutes. You see how these arteries are. So if you're here, it's going to take you 15 minutes to get there where this 5850 Waterloo Road is, which is our real estate office. Or they want to know what's the walk score or the walk time because all these urban areas, walk score is really big. You know, the millennials, and we're going to talk about that, some of them don't even have cars depending on where they live. So here we're in a 5, 10, and 15-minute walk. So we have to know what is important to you. Who's your customer, right? Then what we do is it's called an infographic. So we give a complete snapshot at a glance for our client to give them a lot of basic information, population, median age, no high school diploma, high school graduates, college, some college bachelor graduates. How many businesses are in that? I did a on this one, five miles. How many businesses, 8,375 businesses in that area, 155,854 employees. This is pretty accurate. White collar, blue collar services, most white collar, right, Columbia. 4% unemployment rate. Median household, 106,000. Per capita income, 48,000. Median net worth, 290,000. Households by income. These are the kinds of demographics that people need to know because they need to know, is the restaurant serving $8 meals or $50 meals? Do they put a laundromat in an area where the median income is $106,000? Probably not. 
So, you know, these are the things that we're thinking about. We've got to grab this data. It has to be accurate. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of this, but I wanted you to see how voluminous it is. Because we can talk about things in commercial that you can't talk about. We can talk about African Americans. We can talk about Latinos. We can talk about Asians. We can talk about those things because it may be your business. If you're putting in an ethnic food store, for example, we need to make sure that there's enough demographic to support it. So again, kind of sensitive things to talk about. We're not doing it to be discriminatory. We're doing it because our clients are demanding it because they're telling us this is who our client is. If they say that their client makes $25,000 a year, we're going to have to put them in an area where people don't make a whole lot of money. In residential, you wouldn't dare say, oh, you make $25,000. Oh, man, you come here. You need to be over here. Don't look in that neighborhood. That's bad. You can't say that, right? Commercial real estate, you absolutely must. You can. You have to. You have to understand who your business is. You're not doing it to discriminate. Again, please don't misunderstand me. So it goes over population data. goes over household data. We really dig in. Household data by age and race. Population data by household. Now we're off to trends. There has never really been a more exciting time to be in commercial real estate. So in this business, just like residential, it's more important to be the owner representative than anything else. That's the hardest part. It's hard to be a residential listing agent. It's easy to be a buyer's agent. It's easy because they're not paying you. It's hard when you have to go and convince somebody to write you a check, even though you're going to give it away to the other side. So there's still the same goes in commercial. Because in this business, there is little to no cooperation a lot of times, mostly in sales, not in leasing. Again, we won't get into that, but we'll talk a little bit about commission. But when you have a commercial transaction, you don't have the luxury of being a realtor with MAR contracts. Right? So every, mostly every commercial transaction, unless it's really cut and dry and they're just looking for store space, mostly... You're dealing with lawyers. So you're dealing with lawyers back and forth and back and forth in these negotiations. So it's kind of hard to get paid sometimes by the buyer or the tenant. They'll just go around you if they can. Like, I just want to be in that space. So a lot of times, you know, people don't understand in commercial, it's really important to be that owner's representative, the one that's doing the leasing, the one that's convincing them that they're bleeding to death. The commissions are pretty lucrative. It takes a lot longer to get the deal done. So you're working on a long time. So a lot of agents and commercial, they don't realize that. And that's why they go to work for these companies that are management companies. They can pay them a salary. And, um, you know, so they're not really relying on commission because it does take a couple years. If you don't know a lot of people um, in that arena that own buildings and things like that or business owners, but the nice thing about it is if you become a leasing agent, you get residuals. And that is the biggest kind of attraction for most commercial agents. 
typically what happens, just to give you an idea, is let's say that your client signs a three-year lease. You add up how much rent they pay in three years, less any free rent, and that percentage is your initial check. Then, a lot of times, there are options built in. So that tenant may have three more options at three years. Well, it's written, is what you're negotiating, that every time they renew, you get another check. But you're really supposed to be keeping in touch with that client and finding out how their business health is doing, how their space is doing, whether they are doing well, they need to expand, so that you can negotiate, they like the location, so that you can put it on the burner that if this other space goes vacant, we know we're gonna need it. Or, hey, they're gonna default on this place because there's a store, a restaurant that's close to me. I thought it was a great idea when the business next to them went out of business that they would absorb that space and nobody ever uses it and they signed a five-year lease. So if you know that as a commercial agent, you can go to the owner of the building and say, hey, we might have a problem here. I think we need to try and sublease and see if we can get these people off the hook or they're going to go bye-byes and we're going to have vacancy. And that's a great question. How much money do you need to buy a commercial building? Um, you, it is. It's different. So a lot of times it's 70, but it depends. So a lot of lenders have different requirements. They might say they want 50% down because they don't even like the model, but you've borrowed $100 million from us, so we need to do it. But we will only be comfortable with it based on these terms. Something else is important to know. Most lenders don't do commercial uh, mortgages. And every commercial lender has a spending or lending limit. So it might be $3 million if it's a small savings bank per borrower. So you need to know that when you're trying to get financing. It might be $25 million per borrower before they have to start collaborating legally by federal law to be able to fund loans. I will say to your question, Brenda, which is a good question, people that buy buildings, groups that buy buildings, investors, over 50% of them do so in states that they don't reside in. So most of your clientele is out of town. So when you were asking the question about referring business, that is the commercial real estate business at large. You're friends with an agent in California on the West Coast. He's not coming to the East Coast. Just send me a referral fee. I got a guy that's interested in buying some land in Maryland or buildings in Maryland. DC. So there, it becomes a big network, even more so than residential, because you're dealing with a bigger picture. So if you decide that you want to be in commercial real estate and you want to deal with owners of buildings, most of these are out of state. We belong to something called CoStar, as I discussed. Everybody, every account, every broker has a specific person in CoStar that works really us. If we need owner information, we can get it. They'll dig it out for us. But keep in mind, and we were just having, we're kind of teaching a commercial real estate 
class now at Saks Realty. And don't think because you know who the owners are because they pierce the veil with the information for the corporation. Don't think you can just pick up the phone and say, hey, yeah, I want to talk to Albert Jones. Good luck. I mean, they're usually in three and four layers. So as a commercial agent, you have to network with property managers. So if you're interested in that, there's an organization called BOMA, Building Owners and Managers Association. We're a member of the Baltimore chapter. It's a great resource. You get to network with the property managers who deal with the owners and can really get, get you there. Any questions so far? Sure. This is your last question. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Where do you focus as a new agent? Um, you know, so you would want to start taking classes. And, um, and that will really help to guide you with what interests you the most. Some people like multifamily housing. So you have to learn how to do future income based, you know, uh, analytics, because that's what you're buying when you're buying multifamily housing is the future income of the property, cap rates, things like that. Um, you would really want to start taking classes. There's another one I'll give you. It's called CCIM. It's a designation. It's called Certified Commercial Investment Member. You can take online courses. You don't have to go to get your designation. In fact, most of the members are actually investors. Well, you're a candidate until you're pinned CCIM, but you're still a member candidate. So you still, as a member, if you sign up and you want to be a member, you still get all the tools, the full suite of tools. All right, so let's talk about some trends because what I was about to say was I went to a conference with BOMA down in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Anybody been to Nashville, Tennessee? Wow, boy, it's booming. It's crazy, fun, fun place. They have this convention center that is just fantastic. It's the latest and greatest technology, state-of-the-art on a world level. We had a conference there with BOMA and the whole, um, really all the classes and everything was set up to talk about the internet of things. They talked about the way commercial real estate is going to look in the future. These buildings that they're developing right now have bigger drop-off areas because they can't handle the amount of drop-off. You'll be three blocks down dropping you off. So more drop-off lanes, less parking spaces, or less space for parking spaces because your cars will be able to park within an inch on each side because the doors don't need to open. So when you have a car that's completely autonomous, it can park itself in an exact precise spot. And then you call it when you get off work. And these things are happening now. Smart buildings with rooftop lobby provisions because they believe we'll be droning to work. So though they don't have a rooftop lobby right now, these buildings are 50, 80, 100 years that they'll be standing. That's what these architectural firms are building right now. Our wearables are actually going to do things like 
tell your employer that you have a fever and you may not be to work or you won't be to work or your employer might call you and say, hey, look, don't come. We just got a report that you're running a 100 degree temperature. These spaces are becoming so smart now that your wearable will say, okay, you like it at 55 degrees, which is me, with everybody else's ice cubes. We'll make your coffee. We'll adjust your blinds. We'll dim your lights in your workspace the way that you want it. These wearables will do that. This is the technology that's coming. So when we're looking at the way commercial real estate is changing, there's a lot of buildings that need to be changed. There's a lot of consulting that needs to be um, performed in order that we can help these building owners and help the tenants find the right space because that becomes more gap. We talked about kiosk. We talked about like Starbucks in the grocery store. We're going to start seeing a lot of that. We're talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking about chatbots. Does anybody know that term? Chatbots. Things are listening to us right now. They're gathering all your information. Stores actually are setting up cameras that they know if a bad guy walks in because it recognizes their face and they might know that that person shoplifted the last time they came in. Image recognition. That is really set up for retail where they have these programs where you take a picture of the shelf and through artificial intelligence, it will tell you how to design that shelf to attract somebody. It will also let you know when uh, we get back to chatbots, chatbots now your laundry detergent is telling Target or Amazon, or whoever, that you're low and automatically shipping it to you. This applies to what we do. Has increased or decreased the amount of time it takes to actually order online and go pick it up at curbside. Somebody was telling me that they flew into an airport. They had already, when they landed, ordered something, and the food was delivered to the Airbnb that they rented for the week. It was already there. It beat them there. Everybody's trying to Amazon-proof their business. We need to know these things so we can tell people, hey, look, we might need to ask for this. This might be important for your business. Technology's integrating into retail. Private label brands, anybody been to DSW lately? They have shoes that you can only buy in DSW. Small is the next big story. Small businesses is actually, all the experts are saying is going to come back. Boutiques are going to come back. We're getting frustrated with big business. You walk in, and um, you're going to end up going. Lowe's is just launching this. I think in like 700 stores, they're launching it where they have a, a Lowe's bot, is what it's called, instead of robot. So you actually go up to them and say, hey, could you tell me where the quarter-inch screws are? And I say, oh, I'd be happy to do that. Follow me. And you follow. Go look it up online. Don't trust. Believe me. It's, tell, I'm telling you. It's out right now. Restaurants. Barnes & Noble, ever heard of Barnes & Noble? The kitchen, they're now put full-blown restaurants open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and Barnes & Nobles are going to do 1,100 stores in the next year. You'll be able to go and have a drink and read a book, whatever. I'll fall asleep. Cryptocurrency is taken, like, off. Um, Bitcoin. So more and more retailers are starting to take this. Trends, open floor plans, no cubicles. It used to be in commercial real estate, office space was called head down desk space. That meant that you sat at a desk with your head down. Nobody wants that anymore. You need like 150, 160 square feet minimum per employee. We have a 10 by 12 office at one of our locations. 
that has five workstations at 120 square feet. We actually get five people sitting in there. So open space, smart technology, technology security. You won't be able to enter buildings without it. You won't be able to go up to the third floor without it. You'll be programmed. You can only go to the third floor. That's it. Rooftop lobbies. I said larger drop-off areas, pubs and coffee bars and office space. Less focus on parking. Siri and Alexa is built in. You see that in residential housing now, right? Smart technolo technology in a house is listening in every room. We'll jump over here, multifamily, because we're running out of time. Dorm-style living. All these millennials, I hate to tell you, aren't buying houses. we got a lot of problems in, in residential that we're going to have to muster through over the next several years. One is lack of inventory. People aren't moving. They're still stuck in their homes. Millennials don't know how to do anything, even cut the grass. Mom, dad. My daughter, her favorite thing to say in her apartment is when something's broken, I'm trying to give her a lecture. You should have paid attention to me. She goes, is mom around? <laughs> I don't need a lecture right now. Multifamily style, just like this we workspace where you can rent space here in Chicago and New York and whatever, different days of the week. You can do that with housing now. So if you want to go to work in New York City for four months, you can go rent for four months and do co-living space. And it's the same subscription-based living that then you can come back to D.C. and move back in because you don't have any furniture. It made service. They have buffets, just like dorms. These millennials are really not buying a lot of houses when they're getting out of college. Eventually they will, um, but that's where we're going with this thing. They have no maintenance. They love urban life. We need more multifamily housing, which is why I say we're not at a glut, and some say we are. Industrial, we need more space. We're seeing um, space is going vertical with freight elevators because it's more important now. We are storing more in the United States than we have in decades because of companies like Amazon. It's kind of hard to get it when you want it in 20 minutes or less. It's kind of hard to get it when it's in China. So we actually have to house it here. So companies are really starting to go in the warehouse business so they can be a quick distribution center to get the product that somebody orders and wants in no time flat, or once it's taken to Whole Foods or something like that. Down here, I'll skip down. Healing Power Cannabis has taken over warehouse space. It's kind of interesting. You just go in, you sit down wherever you want. They got coffee bars and restaurants and things like that. You can pay in a lot of these new... By the way, another thing that I learned when I was in Tennessee, the experts, whoever they are, say that within the next five years, 65% of the workforce will be independent contractors. That's why you're seeing boutiques are going to come back. Small services are going to come back. They're going to need service. Staples, I think it is, just they're redoing their stores and putting in temporary workspace. So you can go get your office supplies and go rent an office for two hours. A lot of green living. That's popular trend. Real quick, opportunity service, survey space impact. While you're out there and you're driving around and you're looking around and performing your residential real estate, as you're thinking about things that we talked about this morning, understand what's going on with some of the gaps that are happening. Pay attention to the businesses that are out there. 
when you go in, you can see, are they starving? Are they not doing well? Are they really doing well? What do the office spaces look like? I mean, when we're going out and we're, we're farming and we're you know, trying to see what's going on and take a pulse of that market, um, how is exist existing space impacting the company's overall brand, their overall operations, their overall profitability? Maybe their business should be somewhere different. Look for warehouses serving dwindling markets that could easy be, easily be served from a different facility. Look for retail locations who brand targets a market that is dissimilar to the area's demographics. You say, hey, you'd be better off somewhere else or you'd be better off on the other side of the street. Look for offices that are located in markets with outdated features and functionalities. People will leave you. If you're sticking them in a dim office place that's miserable, they don't want to be there. That's why Starbucks is so popular. People can go and sit down. It's open. They don't even know the people and they're sitting at a big table. Hey, how's it going? Right? Look for facilities that don't, that don't, and say, it's supposed to say don't match a company standards. That's my fault. Um, typing this up for quality or appearance or facilities that have unusable co-tenant, unsuitable co-tenants. Through your analysis, you should be able to identify which locations are harmful to the building owner's long-term success and misuse of the resources. Since these locations can potentially damage a company's success, the best commercial real estate strategy is to be proactive and build a relationship with the business owner or the vendor. To my final slide. Women bring tremendous insight into any business. They have always been providing leadership, but their voices have not always been heard. Female leaders are smart, more respected, passionate, caring, hardworking, and thoughtful. I believe that. This year, more than any and any other year, women will rise into more leadership positions. And as this continues to happen, you'll see healthier workplaces. You'll see higher performing organizations and a greater focus on deep meaning and purpose which is really what drives organizations. This will continue to, to shape and impact our workplaces. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sachs Realty, Maryland broker number 607720, office number 443-318-4514, equal housing opportunity.